We're seeing intensified pressure from investors spurring big changes in corporate governance. Today's forward-looking investor considers ESG a top priority, no longer a nice-to-have. Industry-wide, CEOs are responding to calls from young investors who want more transparency when it comes to ESG. Welcome to Connecting the Dots, an original podcast from Jefferies. I'm Shannon Murphy, and in this series, we're talking to Jefferies' top investment experts and business leaders about some of the biggest trends in the world's capital markets. They'll help us connect the dots to better understand the deals and transactions that are shaping the global economy. And one of the biggest trends in the world of investing right now is ESG, environmental, social, and governance investing. They're the three central factors measuring the societal impact of an investment. Running a business with high ESG standards around carbon emissions, social principles, and animal testing might look like a higher cost option for operating a business and potentially a lower return prospect for investors. But it's making big money on both sides of the market equation. Today, we'll start with the investors. We'll crunch some numbers to show there's increasingly a direct correlation between ESG and good returns, and we'll find out why it's so challenging for investors to really assess how sustainable an investment is. Right now, ESG is one of the fastest growing investment styles in the equity universe. Fund flows have been positive every month this year. And as far as I know, it's the only style where you can make that claim. That's Laurence Alexander. He's an equity research analyst here at Jefferies. And recently, he's been looking at the incredible influence ESG is having on the capital markets. We're seeing in the real world, in the physical world, a shift in consumer behavior. You know, five years ago, surveys and behavioral studies would show that consumers loved green products so long as they were at a discount. Now, there are several industries where it is demonstrable that you can get paid a premium for the green product or the better business model. You can get rewarded for good behavior. So then that leads companies to also look at ways to participate in good behavior. Because everybody in, in that value chain can then raise price a little bit. But then that translates into outperformance in the capital markets. If you have better demand and you have pricing power, um, those are still scarce commodities. The last two years have seen an acceleration in interest and action in terms of sustainable investing, which I think is great because at Flat World and in this space, there have been a lot of us who've been kind of focused here on how do you really think about future trends like immigration or climate change or social justice and, and seeing how they affect companies, markets, consumers, uh, businesses, and knowing that there's an economic impact there. However, really translating that to the capital markets has taken a while. That's Kate Starr. She's the chief investment officer at Flat World Partners. It's an investing firm that's dedicated to sustainable and impact investing. So we work with investors, family offices, foundations, pension funds, and even sometimes other advisors to build customized impact portfolios. She's seen firsthand how interest in this area has grown. We're excited that a lot of investors, especially here in the United States, have come around to this type of investing. 
However, now we're really in a moment where the world is dealing with quite a lot. And, you know, that's just a lot of pressure to put on any kind of system, the social system and the economic system. And sustainable investments tend to do better. They tend to offer some downside protection. They're just a little bit more defensive. But Kate says that it's only fairly recently the correlation between sustainability and earnings has come into clearer focus. But really what's happening now is that investors are digging into a lot of the substance and making connections between, you know, an environmental theme and an earnings outcome. And that's really where we've been wanting things to go. And that's where they are. And a lot of that was built on research that came out of the Harvard Business School by a professor of accounting there, Bob Eccles and George Seraphim. Their work really laid the groundwork for people to make connections between sustainability issues and financial outcomes at companies. And that really was the kind of the tipping point to have more of this investment conversation around sustainability rather than a sort of compliance conversation around sustainability. So if you're interested in ESG and investing, the big question is what sustainability factors are also financially material? Some folks have tried to figure this out by assigning companies an ESG score. But this isn't always an easy thing to do. There are dozens, if not hundreds, of diverse inputs and factors. Next week, we'll talk a little bit about some of the potential ethical trade-offs that companies have to make. For example, a makeup company that may have committed to biodegradable packaging, but might manufacture its products in China, where they test them on animals. For now, let's just say there's a lot of frustration and contention around what the most important data points even are. Here's Laurence again. So generally, the companies are deluged with requests for data, and they provide you know, myriad data sets to the different ESG rating agencies, and they then run them through different types of algorithms or weighted baskets to come up with a score or a rating. Now, what's interesting is a lot of the data that companies are requested to disclose, the companies are not clear on whether these are data points that might help their competitors. So there's a lot of work going into collecting the data points and sorting them in a way that is digestible for the scoring agencies. Kate agrees that the current dispersion among ESG ratings is also a very frustrating challenge because investors have to piece together information about the companies they're interested in on their own. So we don't have the advantage of a regulatory requirement for disclosure. So then it becomes an issue of which companies, which sectors really see that it behooves them to disclose these issues, who and where are investors starting to pressure them to disclose. But the reality is a lot of uh, investors are now deciding they can't rely on disclosure and they're really looking toward alternative data sets and all other kinds of information to evaluate companies on how sustainability and impact will play into their financial results. But as the interest in ESG has grown, so does the need for standardization of disclosure and scoring. So right now it is a fairly complex and opaque process. Where this is headed is um, clearly going to be standardization. The accounting firms the regulators, uh, you know, organizations like SASB are attempting to set at least regional, if not global, standards for disclosures. SASB, that's the Sustainability Accounting Standards Board. 
It was set up in 2011 by Jean Rogers, a visionary in sustainable investing. She wants it to be the ESG equivalent of FASB, the Financial Accounting Standards Board. In fact, she had spent time trying to convince FASB to start incorporating what were then called sort of non-financial factors into FASB regulations. That time they weren't, um, didn't see the need to do that. And so she founded SASB. And for a long time, Jean pushed to have the SEC recognize the materiality standard that the SASB standards was hitting. She really focused on her organization's work to hit a materiality test that would have met an SEC definition, but the SEC never took it up formally. And so if it had, we would have had this single pipe of information. Investors would have had this single pipe of information where they're getting financial information and sustainability information, so they're getting more of a complete picture. Unfortunately, that didn't happen. But the need for clear data is more important than ever, especially now that sustainability factors are increasingly seen as financially material. SASB is just one initiative. Recently, the Task Force on Climate-Related Financial Disclosures and the Global Reporting Initiative announced they'd be working more closely together on trying to harmonize these reporting standards. I think that's a great first step. I was really glad to see that announcement about harmonization because it's also just one of those issues where you've got turf battles around standards, like that's not really helping anyone. You know, I have a soft spot for SASB because it was really one of the first to come out and say, you know, we're not going to try to measure everything or have a million indicators. We're really trying to use the collective wisdom of the crowd and industry specialists and investors to say, you know, this is really what's material in a given industry. And so once you do that, you get a lot more buy-in around the standards. You know, if you've got companies answering impact or sustainability questions that aren't material to their business, you're going to have a low level of compliance. As reporting standards become more and more reliable and ESG investments continue to have robust returns, Laurence thinks the ESG effect will become contagious, which could reward the investors and companies who are ahead of the game. ESG and sustainability is a contender to be one of the dominant themes in capital markets in the coming decade. There's going to be a clear opportunity for investors to focus on companies that have um, the the right kind of products and processes, but also fairly capital-like, very fast feedback, very nimble. So as the regulatory pressures change, as consumer tastes change, the companies just adapt. And the companies that are most resilient in that respect are probably going to do very well. A totally different style will be looking at the regulatory trends or the policy trends and then linking those to what is physically possible on the time horizons that the consumers or the policymakers want. And then you'll have you know, companies who might have very volatile or lumpy trajectories, but emerge as clear winners over 10, 15, 20 years. I think if you look at the last 20 years, the evolution of the solar and wind industries provide a good template for this. You know, I think in three years from now, people are going to be so much more comfortable. People are motivated now. They're taking action. I wouldn't say that all investors have complete conviction in sustainability and impact, but I think they will three years from now. And so, you know, the behavior now is positive. You've got signaling from large shops that we didn't have even, you know, two or three years ago. And that's important. Now, whether or not there's a lot of 
you know, substance behind that still remains to be seen. But nevertheless, people are taking action. You know, they are looking and exploring these themes and exploring these markets in a serious way. Ultimately, the importance of ESG in the capital markets and in the world at large is about more than just money. It's about our humanity and the kind of world we want to live in. It's important that as professionals, we're bringing that part of ourselves to the equation and that, you know, the money making all of this should be done in a way that respects human rights, that respects the environment, that contributes to social justice. And it's tough. You know, part of the reason why we've got income inequality has been the financialization of the markets. And so we are a bit of the problem, but we can also be part of the solution. I'm Shannon Murphy. This is Connecting the Dots, an original podcast from Jefferies. Be sure to subscribe in your favorite podcasting app so you never miss an episode. Next week, we continue our deep dive into ESG from the company side. Find out what companies are doing to improve their ESG scores and how it's paying off for them in a big way. Plus, we speak to the NHL's Omar Mitchell about how sustainability is the key to the future of professional sports. Thanks for listening. Important information and additional disclaimers are available at jeffries.com. This podcast should not be copied, distributed, published, or reproduced in whole or in part. The information contained in this podcast does not constitute research or a recommendation from any Jeffries entity to the audience. It's not an offer or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell any security or investment. This podcast is being provided strictly for informational purposes only. Any opinion or estimates constitute our best judgment as of the date of the podcast and are subject to change without notice. The information upon which this podcast is based was obtained from sources believed to be reliable, but has not been independently verified and should not be relied upon as an accurate representation of future events. No responsibility is accepted and no representation, undertaking, or warranty is made or given, in either case expressly or impliedly, by Jeffries as to the accuracy, reliability, or completeness of the information contained herein, or as to the reasonableness of any assumptions on which any of the same is based. Any views or opinions expressed herein are solely those of the individuals identified. Accordingly, neither Jeffries nor any of its officers, directors, employees, or representatives will be liable for any direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage suffered by any person resulting from the use of the information contained herein, or for any opinions expressed by any such person, or any errors, omissions, or misstatements made by any of them. Jeffries is not an advisor as to legal, tax, accounting, or regulatory matters in any jurisdiction and is not providing advice related to such matters. Listeners of this podcast should take their own independent advice with respect to matters discussed.